You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. to episode 66 of the Unsung Podcast. On last week's episode, we were discussing Grit by Martin Bennett. The public have decided that this record does indeed make it into our discography and it was unanimous. 100% of people agreed that it should go in. So thank you very much to everybody who listened and everybody who voted. This week we've got a slightly, well, significantly less emotional episode in that we are covering the album Santa Gold by Santa Gold. Enjoy. Baby, he's back. Yes, he's back. Sheedy's back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. My name is Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by the new Raw Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, David Chris. It's a reference I don't get. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, Mark is alive. It was touch and go. It really was touch and go. Oh my god, it was horrible. Kofi Mania got him out of his deathbed. It actually did, by the way. (laughs) I cheered. Almost cried. Almost fucking cried. (laughs) It was amazing. Are you talking about wrestling again? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's the first uh, first African-born US uh, WWE champion, and I think I was looking. I was looking at today. I think he's actually the first black uh, WWE champion as well. Well, no, the Rock's black. That doesn't count. Oh, not black enough for you, Mr. White <laughs> Guy. Simone. <laughs> no, he's actually half African American. That's true. But he has a yeah. first. There's actually a number of people as well because Eddie Guerrero is non white as well. Yeah. Well, he's. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's different, isn't it? Like, there's, there's a, a lot of Latin American ones anyway. Let's not be the arbiters of who's yeah, black but enough the fact to qualify. The fact of the matter is, he's the first African born US uh, WWE champion because he's from Ghana. So, yeah. It's yeah. fucking pretty awesome, man. Yeah. We were watching that this week yeah. um, in segments because it's a bit. 18 hours long. Yeah. Um, I used about a day watching it. Uh, uh, Book- Booker T was a WWE uh, heavyweight champion of the world. He was a WCW uh, five time, five time, five time, five, five time? time, five time champion. <laughs> WWE, Dave, different thing. Yeah, no, WWE won it once. King of the Rings. So, so, oh, my balls. No, it's the same, it's the same chance. It's just different lineage, man. Different lineage. All right. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> anyway, NXT TakeOver was far better than WrestleMania. I haven't so. seen it yet. I really want to see it. I mean, it's, it's usually always better, to be, oh, to be honest. I don't know what you're talking about. Usually it's, it's always just, better. Just see, for of, people that don't like wrestling, which is most people, a bunch of this is just. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. What about people that don't like music? This whole podcast. Is just <laughs> oh, well, I mean, they've made a mistake here. What about the wrestling fans that accidentally find themselves listening to this? We are just looking out for them. Joan Jett played there on the Rousey at the stage at WrestleMania. She did. There's a music link. Yeah. There you go, music. Yeah. Joan Jett. Hey. So Triple H came out to Motorhead, Motorhead. As always. As always. With a massive fucking Mad Max style Doom buggy. And then wrestle 
a bad match. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, well, well, Dave, what were you doing for 14 and a half hours while me and Mark were watching <laughs> the wrestling? I was in bed. I really had a lovely time. <laughs> That's oh, about it. Imagine yeah. being in the arena for seven and a half fucking hours, man. Oh my God. You can hear it. You can hear it when they're in, in the broadcast as well, man. They just stop caring. Yeah, like Dave stopped caring. Yeah, they flagged <laughs> during the the Drew McIntyre match as well. Yeah. Big Drew McIntyre from Air, Scottish, yeah. up in the house, up in the house, fighting the big dog. Makes you proud, eh? The Makes you dog. proud. Aye, yeah. aye. He's that fair play to him, by the way. He's he's doing really well. The guy will fucking rip the arms from your body as well if you fuck with him. He's huge. Is yeah. he as Scottish as Roddy Roddy Piper was? He's actually Scottish. No, he's, he's, he's from air. He doesn't just wear a kilt. Uh, okay, I see. They've actually, and he's not been on Infowars. So that's two that he's got on Roddy. I saw life, so there's three. <laughs> um, so, David, what uh, did you see anything interesting this week? Got any shows? Maybe this could be our new segment. I did. I do anything this week? I'm not sure. I had uh, dinner with a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> dinner with a Tory. Yeah, he was just like a an, ex, an extended member of a family who was like a guest at a dinner. Just a family? Just a with, family? Of a family that I'm involved in. It was a family dinner. The Murdochs. And, and he was like a plus one. Okay. And then within, it was before the starters had arrived, he, he said to my future father-in-law, so uh, did you vote to leave or remain in the referendum? And I was like, oh, <laughs> excellent. This is going to be a good dinner. <laughs> uh, so that was fun. Um, apart from that What did they order for his starter? Chili <laughs> uh, Full gammon I'm afraid <laughs> uh, No No uh, I've actually avoided all uh, Things Culture This week <laughs> It's been ideal Mark you were uh, You were laid up for most that of it That was ill It was It was Pretty much almost Kofi Kingston that got me a bit <laughs> on Monday morning. Uh, no, it was, yeah, I was ill. It, it fucking sucked. I still say, Dave, you should get into Daniel Bryan now that he's like a vegan warrior and they fucking hate him for telling them how to live. Yeah, he should. Even this is re- wrestling again. Even, yeah, yeah, even remade the belt with like wood and cork and a bunch of renewable material. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's, that's very nice it's of him. Uh, I thought, I went, before I got sick, I went to see Corn again. The oh, yeah. band we spoke guys. about this apparently yeah. they didn't have a bass guitar they, did no, they had no bass player and no bagpipes and no bagpipes they oh had, they had a bass guitar but no bass player or they had, they had a bass guitar <laughs> but no bass player so they had they had a track a backing track of a bassist playing <laughs> but you could tell because it makes a clicky sound like a corn bass does and yeah. yeah it was they were actually they actually sounded amazing though they had, didn't have any amps I think they were all like uh, Axe effects or whatever and so they sounded spot on uh, and then I got ill so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> these two things mean, connected. David and I still feel that, that may have been behind it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and, and and my girlfriend got out at the same time at the same gig. So was there a connection there? The yeah, new metal plague. It's a bit yeah. strange, yeah. Mm. Well, I saw a couple of movies. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about them. I, I mean, nah. No, I mean, I, I saw Us, well. and it's grossly overrated. I still haven't seen Get Out. I really need to see that. Get Out's excellent, but Us is book. I saw the Sisters Brothers, and it's fucking brilliant. And the trailer makes it look like some kind of anchorman type comedy. It is so not that. It's really, really good. Um, but yeah, that was that's about it. Other than that, I've mostly been working, which isn't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about I'm, to say, what's what's up with you? I know. And tomorrow I'm going to go and see Kevin and Old Man Gloom doing a commemorative show for Caleb Schofield yep. down in London. Uh, and I have 56 pence in my bank. 
So uh, that's gonna be some trip. I maybe take that wee five stringed acoustic guitar over there. <laughs> I won't even do cut, a bit of busking. I won't even cut the broken string off. I'll just go down there and busk Louis Capaldi songs. Tune in next week to see if Chris makes it back from London alive. I know somebody that pumped Louis Capaldi last week. Good for her, him, and her, 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 her. Have you ever seen the first X Men movie? Yes. Yeah, she sent me a selfie, and he looked a little bit like uh, you know the the, the kind of congressman that uh, tur- <laughs> tur- tur- turns into water and goes through the bars. That is harsh. That is incredibly harsh. And he sounds like that as well. Yeah. So um, apparently he was very very nice. He's a nice boy. Very polite. Piss week. You know, GGSB. Good guy, shy band. <laughs> GG <laughs> Allen. <laughs> uh, okay, but. Talking of music, there's a link. Yeah, See? Segue. See? Everything's getting better. We've done this before. Yeah. Um, it's, when you're not here, we had to work twice as hard. I listened to that episode. I enjoyed that episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend. Because it's only got like, at, this, at the point of recording, it's only got six votes, right? Which means people haven't fucking listened to the episode. Mm, and yeah, I take true. issue with that. So go fucking listen. That's because it's Celtic <laughs> Fusion. <laughs> I know, you're putting them so, off with that though. It's, it was so much more than that. I liked the episode. We got a couple of nice messages about how it was actually probably our most touching yeah. uh, and sort of thought-provoking episode. It was good. And um, uh, yeah, it's a bit You never wrote that in the blurb though, did you, Mark? No. No, you weren't interested. You no. weren't involved. You no, were I was like, not involved. Fuck I was the just blurb. fucking, yeah, I'm just writing, just writing words. Just I, don't, I don't care. Plow through this shit. Yeah, good app, good records. I liked it. I would have I mean, voted it in. I didn't like it, but you know, yeah. I made my feelings clear in that episode. Yeah, so you go and listen to it. This week, we're doing Santa Gold by Santa Gold, latterly Santa Gold. No, now Santa Gold, formerly Santa Gold. That's what I said. Yeah. Everybody can get so confused with the way we were going to say this because it just sounds like the exact same thing. <laughs> Santa Gold by Santa Gold. Santa Gold. Santa Gold. Santa Gold. She changed it from Santa Gold to Santa Gold. Right. Not Santa Gold. Her name was originally Santo Gold and Santi she changed Gold? it to Santi Gold. Sa- oh, so it's now Santo uh, Gold. To avoid potential legal action by uh, a director of a film called uh, Santo Gold and the Blood Circus. Santo Gold's Blood Circus by a director called Santo Victor Rigatuso. It's made in 1985. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a fair reason to change your name, I suppose. A lot of bands change their name for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of bands that have changed vowels in their name for legal reasons. Um, hmm. yeah. Or deleted vowels altogether. Or changed them to uh, different letters. And symbols. And symbols, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it happens. Search engine optimization. Uh, it's sla- actually quite a bad one, that. <laughs> slash legal ob- obligation. Um, but yeah, this album is Santa Gold's 2008 debut. Santa Gold is Santi White, who is, well, let's see, she was born in 76, so that makes her, what, 42, 42. now? Yep. Yeah, 40, yeah, she's 42, 42 now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, 42 now. African-American singer, songwriter, producer. From Philly. Multi-talented lady. Mm-hmm. Just out the, out the box, what did you think of it? I'd heard this before. David, you heard that's it. not an opinion. <laughs> I mean, that's just a <laughs> statement of fact. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember. I I think I downloaded it when it came out. Same. And then I uh, never really listened to it again, apart from occasionally playing a few tracks at indie discos. So I'd listened to it once and then didn't listen to it again because at that time I just wasn't what I was feeling. I know a lot of people. It was getting a lot of hype at the time, and a lot of my friends liked it. Who are not raggedy punks like me. They kind of dug it. 
She's kind of punk adjacent, I guess, as a as a you she, know. Yeah, she is absolutely as a kind of singer, um, um, musician. So. Yeah, she was in a punk band for years. Yeah, called Stift. 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 Yeah, they're kind of sky punk. Members of that John Hill. Hill. Are you going to finish any <laughs> names? <laughs> Come on, Chris. This is what people are paying money for. David Mark's back. We need to give him something to do. Um, like, so I'm going to give him the second word of everything I say. Um, yeah. So John Hill does a lot of the writing with her now. Mm-hmm. Who's also in that band? I actually downloaded this. Just sort of feeling guilty about not being up to speed with a kind of batch of music at that time i think i actually downloaded it in about 2010 mm-hmm. uh so a couple of years after it came out just because i felt like i'd, I'd lost track of what was going on right then and there it's cool yeah well you were out of touch chris a wee bit but there was like there was a couple of movements taking place things go- change jesus fuck me you amused yourself so much i'm flipping all over the show uh so basically I, I felt like there was a couple of movements happening that weren't really getting me but I was like, there must be good stuff in amongst it. I'm just maybe writing it all off. So I decided to download, I think I downloaded like the top 50 albums from like Pitchfork that year. And this must have been in that list. Mm-hmm. And I th- there was only a couple that, that that stayed with me. Actually, I think I maybe got Chunyards on the same sesh. Mm-hmm. But this, I think, is probably the one I like the best out of all of them. I didn't expect it to stay with me. There was others that sounded more up my street at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, more kind of noise rocky stuff and a couple of electronic things, but they didn't have any real longevity. And weirdly, this one just kind of kept coming back, popping up in playlists, and it, it fits really well at indie discos. It's mm-hmm. really good music to get a place going. It's recognisable enough without being like a total obvious go-to. Yeah, I, re- I really like this album. Um, there were a few tracks in it that I didn't really click with ori- initially. Given the concerted effort I made listening to Santa Gold for the last couple of weeks, I've actually got more into them mm-hmm. as a result. A lot of songs in this record, and I say a lot, a couple were in a lot of adverts. And it's been well, used in syndication quite a lot. One of the talking points, I guess, is the fact that it's so, so heavily synced. And I feel there's maybe even a case to be made that on her following two records, that's maybe inner thinking too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following two records have some very, very good moments, and we'll kind of swing by them. But there's also a lot of stuff that feels very, very workshopped. And some of the songs on those really did end up being heavily synced as well. There's one in particular from a direct line advert. That that stuff, there's there's something lost on those two albums. It feels like there's swings and misses. Whereas on this album, it feels like it's just a bunch of good songs that have been written. Uh, one thing about Santa Gold is that it, it really frequently her albums sound like a mixtape mm-hmm. of different acts. There are they're, they're kind of consistent features, but it, it can sound varied to the point of being almost erratic. And that's yeah. that's the case for all three of, of the, the main albums. Have you guys heard any of the later stuff? Yeah, um, I listened to. I've listened to all of it actually, apart from the the last, the latest mixtape, which I haven't heard. Um, Apparently, the latest mixtape is very heavily inspired by dancehall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
which is kind of 2018 it came out it's kind of in the offing at the moment and it's kind of in the like dance hall just been now. massive yeah for yeah, the last year and a half in, or in whatever that, yeah. so I think yeah you can definitely tell in the later two records the last, sort of the last two records how's presence is a lot less felt there's a lot less there's a lot of other played. cooks in the kitchen yeah, though for mm. the for the, the later record some great I mean arguably if you're going to be got if what it's sort of plowed, plowed the, a much more popular furrow she's, she's picked some really good songwriters for that like Dave C. Tech and and uh, you know a bunch of different people who are like obviously really good at producing outside of the mainstream but still mainstream kind of records if that makes sense yeah she was also writing the nose with you know Diplo and uh, Switch and stuff yeah, like that Diplo's, as producers yeah Diplo's a big feature okay, for like, stuff and did, she did a she, her first release was actually a mixtape I, I don't really know how that works like curated by curated with Diplo or I don't really know what the deal was, but it was in conjunction with Diplo, the first ever release. Like, yeah, so I was thinking about Q-Tip as the producer on Go On, the second record. How's on it? Nick Zinner's on pretty much every single fucking song as a songwriter. So... You know, you can see that there's definitely her trying to push her. It sounds like she tried to push herself in new directions, but again, I do. Well, I think you're right, though. You know, I think there's probably a bit one eye on the where's the next advert you know on, the, I mean? on on the sink income. Now, yeah. one of the interesting things about Santa White is that she worked for years as an A and R for Epic Records, and that clearly gave her a lot of contacts. It clearly got her inside the the, the machine. She's also a you know a corporate writer. For, for labels, who she's got credits on a Lily Allen record. Uh, Ashley Simpson, she's written in the, the Bittersweet World album. She wrote a song called Out of My Head. Mm-hmm. It's also 2008. And when you listen to Santa Gold, there's there is initially something about it. It's like, Jesus, this this music's pretty polished. This can't it's it's unlikely at that point that you're like, this is just one person writing. It feels too pro. I don't mean like too good. Um it's 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 a it's a difficult kind of needle to thread here, but there's something about it that you're like, this is very, very finished, it's very slick, it's very mm. pop. And yes, there's a lot of collaboration. There are people like Diplo involved, there are multiple writers involved. She's clearly the, the central writer, and you yeah, can hear that through it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but you can also hear her experience as a corporate writer showing through. Everything is very lean. Uh, it's very like straight in, straight to the punch, straight out. Mm-hmm. Big chorus, samples, needs something here, doesn't need something there, strip it back. The decisions on it are very professionally made. Mm-hmm. It, so it, I, before I even knew she was a corporate writer, there was ov- there was something that was just like something's not right here. This is too well done, and that does explain it a bit. Mm. She's she's steeped in the experience of writing with that commercial uh, consideration on her mind. Well, it doesn't. Com- I mean, I've I've put this album forward. It doesn't compromise it. But so why does that not compromise this? And the fact that she, you know, obviously made a lot of contacts, worked with you know major labels and artists in the nineties and the two thousands. Uh, why does this record not feel cynical in the way that Best Coast felt cynical to you? I think Best Coast is a less relevant example because... That, I mean, no, but I mean, you my, fucking my, hated my, that record yeah, my, because my, of its... My, compla- my complaints about Best Coast was the indie masquerade and the, the, the Urban Outfitters thing, the 
that that part of it didn't really work for me. I you, think you like, could argue this feels kind of the same. Right? Different, yeah, but it, this is no, a no, very well is... put together product. Would you not say? Yeah, but also it, it's not uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Santa Gold wrote these songs. Mm-hmm. Santa Gold is. I, I, I don't. Doubt. I'm not talking about Carly Rae Jepsen. She's but, a pop star. I'm talking about Best Coast, who, who are an indie band that is marketed at specifically alternative, but alternative with a very small a group of late 20, early 30s people who like music, but, you know, don't go to sweaty gigs. They go to festivals in their Toyota RAV4s and they'll take a little bit of cocaine. Um, a little bit of why, cocaine. Why is this not cynically marketed at them when it clearly is, as you said, professionally, you know, decided to work on on those levels that's the sound of Dave pulling a table out from under the ring (laughs) (laughs) setting it up (laughs) it's the sound of him clearing the monitors of the the Spanish announcer's desk Uh, no there's two big differences there man the first one is the fact that the best coast songs are nowhere near as good as Santa Gold songs and I made pretty clear in that episode that one of my objections was the, the disconnect between the amount of publicity and promo and the lack of quality in the actual songs. Mm-hmm. The, the songs in Santa Gold across the, the, the albums, whilst by no means all the songs, some of those are absolutely outstanding pop songs. And I think it's probably closer to LaRue. And I would never in a million years try and argue that LaRue wasn't a commercial uh, enterprise and wasn't you know compromised by a thousand different sync opportunities and adverts and things like that. The difference was that that's a very... The, the, com- the competition in the realm of pure pop, and this is much, much closer to pure pop than Best Coast ever was. Mm, I don't know. This oh, okay. this doesn't sound like a pop album to me. This sounds like an indie album. There's like, sounds more like there is a band here. It no, sounds like that's, that's, I don't know how much of this you've actually listened to, man, but if you, this, there's bits in this, there's bits across these three albums that sound like somewhere between MIA and Nicki Minaj, as well as... The, yeah, you know, but much closer to MIA than Nicki Minaj. I w- and I wouldn't say MIA is a pop artist. But there's nothing at all to do with like indie rock or like lo-fi produced indie rock the way that Best Coast was, certainly in the, the earlier stuff. There's no pretense of that. I think also... Uh, a bit like the LaRue thing. I don't like the advertising sync. That's one of the things I wanted to touch on. But the competition in the pop world uh, sees you pitted against these multi, multi, multi million dollar machines as we've, we've spoken about, these committees of like 20, 30, 40 writers. And she's got a bit of that. But much, my, much like LaRue, she's managed to do something in a very, very com- competitive field when the dice are really loaded against her. And, you know, this wasn't like a massive commercial success, but the dice are really loaded against her and she's produced something that competes uh, in terms of quality in that kind of environment where she shouldn't really be able to when you consider the resources that are at the disposal of other people. So I think it's different because you you're not putting Best Coast up against Kelly's on a, a dance floor like if you're, you're stringing a bunch of tracks together. But there are tracks by Santa Gold that quite comfortably would follow Khalees on a on a dance floor. So I, I don't think it's the same thing. I think it's apples and oranges, really. I, although I do concede that the, the amount of sync is really kind of gets quite off-putting. And I think actually a couple of tracks in it have sort of been ruined by the sync. And I kind of wanted to ask you, like, do you guys think there are tracks that are irredeemable after certain sync? Say aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. Lot of the day, lot of the day, lot of the day, 
That's a good. That's a really good song, man. And when I heard it, I was like, "Oh fuck! I've heard this a million times. That's a shame." I think the worst one is "Desperate Youth." Desperate Youth. Well, that's on the second record. And the yeah, second definitely record that as well. Yeah. Is <laughs> used by Direct Line and and others, um, and it is it's a banger of a song, man. That's it's a, a fantastic really good song. song. Yeah. And it, it, and it just feels so hard Especially when that opening riff comes in Because it's the opening riff that's the bit That really sticks out in the advert it Just immediately you're locked into that It's like And I, I, my brain instinctively resents that It's like oh shit Someone's about to try and sell me insurance yeah. and, and when you go through the list as well I mean Okay TV and film sync She's done stuff like Gossip Girl Entourage Grey's Anatomy CSI New York Beverly Hills 90210 Good Girls A whole bunch of things like that And that's TV sync And I can totally get that That's that is what it is. The stuff like Converse, Direct Line Insurance, VO5 hair products. Samsung, Ford. Samsung, Ford, Honda, Bud Light, Blossom Hill Wine. Okay, she's got to make a living. Um, it's probably a reasonably good living when you're bringing in that amount of advertising revenue. I don't see the need for that. That's just my particular way of thinking. I think that's really crass. And what's happened is that great songs are now effectively ruined for me. I can't put on Disparate Youth and enjoy it now just in terms of sticking it on in a van or sticking it on in a car or because it's like, fuck, that's the advert song. Mm-hmm. And you, if you put it on a bar, you see about 20, 30 people around you trying to remember what advert it is that they're hearing. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking that's a great tune. And I'm like, God damn it. That's such a waste. Mm. And I mean, Yeah, and, I know. You might make a lot of money out of it, but overall it cheapens it. Like yeah, you know, it, artistically, it, it, artistically, yeah. it's sort of like you've kind of like it, it's done now. It's I mean, are there any songs that stick out for you? A one that I really hate, and I love the film, and I love the song, and I love the band. But where is my mind has been ruined by Fight Club. Yeah. By a lot of films, a lot of TV shows as well. It's not just not just Fight Club. I Nothing think it springs to mind for me uh, immediately. Blood on the Dance up. Floor by DJ Shadow off uh, Private Press, second record. Uh, was in a O2 advert about. 15 years ago uh, and it had Sean Bean talking over the top of it but somehow that actually kind of escapes it because the song is so good and Sean Bean is like obviously <laughs> a fucking great actor and you're just like oh right that's quality so I don't know because it's not like a little pop riff it's yeah. like a big slow sort of epic thing and I always think of that fucking advert but it has, somehow hasn't ruined it for me because it still maintains its power. But, See, yeah, I, I didn't realise that Where Is My Mind was going to be ruined because as much as I love all three constituent parts of it, it's just like, oh, fuck, it's that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one that really disappointed me was in Porter's Heads, The Rip appeared in, a, I think it's a Mark Jacobs mm-hmm. perfume advert. Uh, and I was just, that was, that's, uh, fuck off, man. Mm-hmm. No, really? You have to do that? Like, stuff like that's... Yeah, that's a real downer. Uh, you just feel like the gut's getting pulled out or something. It'd be interesting, actually, because we've, we've not spoken about this in advance, but 
under this episode if people could actually chip in with the tracks they feel have been scuppered by their advertising sync. A fucking Royal Blood song, Into the Black, is that what it's called? That's everywhere. You know the one I'm talking about, right? That one. Riff that every single fucking I'm band have has to ever played. Here. You've heard it. You, you, you've heard it. <laughs> you've definitely heard it. Dave, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure I know the, yeah. another one. It's fucking, yeah. It's Any one classic of muse one. tracks? That have... Any classic muse tracks? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Do you know what is actually, I mean, you can't, there's maybe like three tracks nice on, on the album that have never, that have been overplayed, but uh, like the first Killers record is actually a decent indie pop album. But you just, you have to skip Mr. Brightside. Yeah. And mm-hmm. probably somebody told you as well, because like they've been so overplayed. Yeah. On that level, I think Beastie Boys are, nev- are never going to suffer that because did Adam MCA not, when he died, did he not say, you can never use any Beastie Boys track for it? It's a long standing thing of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I think he expressed that on his departing of this world speaking of the Beastie Boys uh, Santa Gold um, which is in that track like play, is it Play a Game You Can't Win or The Game You Can't Win mm-hmm. on Hot Sauce Committee Part 2 it's really good man Santa Gold right? <laughs> holy shit she's done a lot of collaborations yeah, a lot a, a lot of collaborations yeah. this is it without even getting into tours she's done that that Converse ad that I spoke about the tune was with Casablanca Pharrell Williams and, and Julian mm-hmm. Casablancas Uh, she's done a Mark Ronson record. She's done stuff with uh, MIA, a couple of members of the Yeah The Mark Ronson record's interesting because she did it before like, she'd released the album. Was it 2007 that was done? Yeah, but that's the thing. She'd been a writer and yeah, just I mean, behind the that's scenes. That's one of the things, like, I know you kind of were, yeah, you guys were kind of talking about that. And what I would say is, like, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that approach to writing the records. I think it really works really well for her to be able to cherry pick the people she knows are going to work well with her and create a good selection of songs. Um, and I think it's really bold to curate that when you're in a position of more power than the average average yeah, singer like does. You know, it's not like she's creating a political punk album and then pretending that it is something else. She's putting together a pop or an indie record with very pop sensibilities, and you know she wants it to sound really good. And yeah, that, yeah. That. I mean, she's definitely definitely well connected, and she's mm. obviously yeah she's she's used that to its fullest effect. I mean, some of the other names like Spankrock, uh, Kanye was involved in a track called Gifted. Um, I think she's collaborated with him a few times. I think she's about to, something about to drop as well mm-hmm. that's to do with him. Uh, Basement Jacks, Drake, Drake, Lil Wayne, Major Lazer, uh, The Bravery, remember them? Mm-hmm. Uh, Christina Aguilera, I think she wrote something for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, ASAP Rocky, uh, One Republic, I think she's on their record, whoever the fuck that is. And uh, Devo, albeit. Devo is her favourite band so you can understand why yeah and she's she's had a lot of breaks as well some of the big tours and supports I mean even in the, I think it was just in her first year uh, she'd done a show at Madison Square Garden with Bjork mm-hmm. uh, she'd done shows with MIA again she toured the USA with Coldplay of all people uh, she supported the streets at the Electric Proms uh, she did shows with Jay-Z with Kanye West with the Beastie Boys 
and then after that, a bit later on, she ended up doing stuff with Red Hot Chili Peppers. She's also done stuff with David Byrne. Mm-hmm. She's fucking had a lot of breaks. She's very well connected. I'll bet you she'll be glad that we're doing this podcast then. This might give her that final break. <laughs> also very t- kicks it. That, that, that hyper drive. That last, you know, couple hundred people that are holding out that don't know about yeah, Exactly. She'll <laughs> finally go mainstream now. Not undeserving though. I mean, she's clearly very talented. She's a good, she's a good songwriter, very savvy. Clearly as a, as, a, as someone that navigates the music industry as well. But, you know, she's a talented songwriter. Mm-hmm. Like she's worked with so many people and it still sounds like I think it's a very like talented songwriter you know I mean? like yeah, hard to do a little bit inconsistent yeah I mean, um, well, for most songwriters to be fair we'll, we'll get to that you guys clearly have uh, something on, on, well, up we'll, your sleeves we'll you want a nexus next, all of your faces tell me that you're, 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 you're itching to pull the trigger he's been off for two weeks so you know he's fucking gagging for it eight seconds long this week alright well we'll play Fritz Mark you'll have been missing this it's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Gromexus need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. For playing in the Nirvana, to hanging with Obama, he knows lots of folk, so stands to reason we'll find a way. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Gromexus. Don't take too long. All right, well, Mark, I think... Oh, I was missing for it. You should, you should go first. You've had time to recuperate. Yeah, so uh, Greg Kirsten co-wrote some songs on Master of Make Believe and he also produced Concrete and Gold, the new Foo Fighters album. And I guess you Dave Grohl. There you go, hey! <laughs> That's not my actual Nexus, but I thought I'd get that in there. Um, it should be a Nexus. My more interesting one um, is, obviously we've spoken a lot about Diplo. He's, he's on this record, he's on every record. So ever. ever, ever that records. She's done all the records. Um he made a cameo appearance in the film 22 Jump Street starring Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Did you know that? I did not. No. Due to so when would they go to college? Yeah. 22 Jump Street was scored by Mark Mothersbaugh uh, of the band Evil, who we've spoken about, and... Rugrats. Yeah. Uh, he's done. By the way, I know he's I know he's done a lot of stuff, man, but it wasn't until I started doing the research on this Nexus that I realised how much stuff he's done. It's incredible. Yeah, you see, you see his name in the credits for lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I was like, I was thoroughly. I mean, Devor good anyway, but I was thoroughly impressed. One of the films he's done over the course of his illustrious career is uh, the TV film <laughs> Ice Age: The Great Escapade, which is a Easter special of the t- of the Ice Age franchise. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, and all the Ice Age films and TV specials and whatever other fucking marketing bump they need to do. Dennis Leary was the voice of the saber toothed tiger. Mm-hmm. The poor man's Bill Hicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dennis Leary wrote, created, directed, and starred in the 2015 TV series Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. And the first episode of that TV series has a cameo from Greg Dooley. Afghan Wigs. And Dave Grohl. Oh, well, there you are. So there you go. Yeah, we got there via Ice Age. That's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. David uh, Alright so Santa Gold uh, Of her many collaborations in 2012 She was one of the guests on Amadou and Miriam's Folia album uh, Amadou and Miriam 
are a fucking really, really good uh, Malian uh, couple. about 60 or 70 and they've been making music for about five decades and they're fucking brilliant uh amadou miriam played altimore's parties uh when it was curated by none other than the simpsons c- creator matt groaning is uh, it graining 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 i mean it's spelled o-e yeah so i think, I he, I think he, uh, for some reason i could be wrong i think he pronounces it graining I mean, it's one of those things that he's like one of the most famous people in the world, but you only ever see his name written down. So no idea. Uh, anyway, Matt Groening is obviously most well known for appearing in 2004's uh, comic book, The Movie, uh, which was a direct-to-DVD mockumentary starring and directed by Mark Hamill. Uh, Mark Hamill, obviously most famous for his role as the voice of Chucky in 2019's Child Play, the reboot. Have you seen that, Chris? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I, I, yeah. Is that even out yet? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. also stars Aubrey Plaza, Tim Matson, and yeah, weird. It's a needless uh, remake. It's a needless reboot. Yeah, truly. Oh, it's released on June the 21st, apparently, so... Oh, I thought it was out. Oh, fuck it, I don't give a shit. Oh, <laughs> anyway, the classic I Child's Play. I haven't seen play, it, David. I haven't seen it, sorry. Classic Child's Play, the original, uh, was released in November 1988, directed by Tom Holland. Uh, Tom Holland did a few weird sort of horror movies. He did Fright Night. Um, did you not play Spider-Man in the Marvel films? <laughs> I, I think that was Tom, another Tom Holland. But he also did... A 1983 sequel to Psycho, which was fucking shit. Have <laughs> you also? Do you remember they um, Gus Van Sant. Sant did like a color remake, shot by shot of Psycho. I uh, remember that featuring yeah. um, Vince Vince Vaughn. Vaughn, and it was also shit. But anyway, uh, Psycho in 1960, the classic horror film, Alfred Hitchcock, blah blah blah. Uh, obviously very very famous for its score talking about film scores mm-hmm. once again uh, it was uh, the shower scene the whole thing was uh, scored by Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman's score from Psycho was sampled in Gimme Some More the track by Buster Rhymes <laughs> <laughs> uh, from his 1998 album ELE anyway uh, Buster Rhymes worked with a bunch of people including in 2007, Lincoln Park, uh, they did a song called We Made It, and it's not good. I wish they had not made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can get... Lincoln Park, I actually I read when Chester Bennington died, there was a some sort of tabloid journalist had a fucking go at Dave Grohl for not speaking out about it for some reason. And then a year later, it turned out that uh, actually Dave Grohl had got in touch with all members of Lincoln Park and had like basically been a counsellor for them. Uh, and it turns out is now very good friends with them all. And uh, Mike Shinoda says that Dave Grohl is one of the best people in the world. So there you go. How does That's- that phone call go? Hi, I'm Dave. 
grow we may have met before at some point i'd like to talk I hear to you your about singer your died. Died. yeah it's like uh hear your singer committed suicide uh i've what, got some, I've got some experience it? with this yeah <laughs> why talk about it um so I, that's strange i was pretty sure one of you guys would pick the fact that uh, daryl jennifer of bad brains produced uh, two albums by santa gold's original punk band that's Stiff. far too obvious only mm. christopher mm. <laughs> you are too cool for school uh okay well santa gold uh once appeared in an episode of the u.s office uh, the episode AARM from 2013. Uh, US Office, an adaptation of the British Office, obviously, where a guy called Michael Scott is the US version of David Brent. Michael Scott's played by Steve Carell instead of Ricky Gervais. Uh, Dwight's the US version of Gareth, which was Mackenzie Crook in the UK one. Uh, Dwight in the US Office is played by Rain Wilson, uh, mm. but both Seth Rogen and Patton Oswalt auditioned for it. Patton Oswalt and the actor Michael Shannon were both singled out shortly after the election of Donald Trump by various Trump supporters, including a, a magazine called LifeZet, uh, which is sort of right to centre bullshit lifestyle magazine a la the National Enquirer mixed with OK or something like that. Um, but they, those two guys were singled out in particular for their comments on Twitter about it. Uh, Patton Oswalt had replied, uh, oh, the USA is way more sexist than it is racist, and it's pretty fucking racist. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Shannon uh, had commented uh, regarding the voting patterns, the big red dildo running through the middle of our country needs to be annexed. Let's just call it the United States of fucking assholes. <laughs> and they were criticised for, fuck knows, hate speech, whatever. Michael Shannon uh, appears in a film called The Sexist Elbows and Rock. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Michael Shannon appears in a film called The Sexiest Elbows in Rock. The Sexiest Elbows in Rock has actually got a sequel now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that film, though, he is an uh, inverted commas elbow doctor. <laughs> Goodness me, that was obviously his big break. The sexist, the sexist. It wasn't actually. This is reasonably recent. <laughs> and the sexist elbows in rock uh, was actually conceived by a band inverted commas called split single which is actually just one person i believe and it was made originally to promote their debut album i'm not sure how this guy pulled this off uh, but it also features uh, jeff tweedy from wilco it features frank black from the pixies it features rick nielsen from cheap trick and it features dave Grohl. That's quite a short one for you, Chris. Yeah. But yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting link. That's strange, right? Yeah. Such a weird little. Fil- I don't know who the, di- the dude is that, that came up with it, but Sexiest Elbows and Rock. It is littered with cameos. There you go. Wow. Well, that, was, that was quite a journey, guys. Yeah. It's good to be back to f- full team and full next eye. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's have a little bit more yeah. Fritz and then talk about this record. Before we crash in to Santa Gold, uh, it was followed in 2012 by Master of My Make Believe that Mark mentioned earlier on. <sighs> it's not a great album overall, but it does have some very, very good moments. A track in it called Go, the first one, uh, which features Karen O. makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of like new wave 
and post-punk in Santa Gold, mixing with the hip-hop and bits of reggae. So this one's got that new wave vibe. Uh, it's got a really playground-y, sort mm. of gimmicky feel to it, which is actually really effective. Some hooky chants in it and a really strange pitch-shifted backing vocal that keeps happening. It's, it's pretty odd uh, if you pay attention to it. I wonder if she'd pick Nick Zinger, Zinner, <laughs> Nick Zinner to be on this, or if she wanted to work with Karen O, and then that's how she got working with Nick Zinner. I wonder, I wonder what, how that happened. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, she was already get, inviting comparisons with Karen O, and the mm. minute you hear this song as well, it makes sense. There's yeah. actually a couple other tracks that you could have totally imagined Karen O appearing on. But, uh, and Zinner's a co-writer on pretty much every song on this record, apart from like three. Um, the second track Disparate Youth we've spoken about already which is kind of totally irredeemable for me because of its advertising connotations it's a great tune it's got this brilliant guitar stab thing that comes in in the verse and the chorus is like super smooth but I struggle to disconnect enough to actually just enjoy it on its own merits uh, the fourth track on it Fame's pretty good it's got this really interesting rising synth motif and it's like a much bigger beat song There's a track in it, track five, called Freak Like Me that fucking does my head in. Uh, it has that, it's one of the ones where that Nicki Minaj vibe comes in for me and it, I can't stand it. The record in general, I feel like, has a, a kind of second half is pretty weak and feels too deliberate. I think uh, Pitchfork had actually made that comment as well, and too considered. I think they'd said in their review. Um, there's there's the reggae and there's the hip hop and there's a new wave that's on the the debut, but it does feel overthought almost. There's also a track called The Keepers, which is really tacky and again suggests to me that she was trying too hard. wasn't writing songs that just were good songs it was like oh this needs to be this it need, we need a big single we need something vaguely political and sort of anthemic with a kind of almost like a Kim Wilde vibe and just it, it just doesn't really do it for me People of the world, this is the Unsung Podcast Cash every Call. Every boy and every girl. <laughs> Spice up your life. We would like some of your money, please, to channel into this podcast. Please go to unsungpod.net forward slash donate. We realize it's a pain in the hole. Just do it once and then you can, in good conscience, ignore this segment of the show from then on and just use this as the opportunity it is to, I don't know, put the kettle on, take a piss. But everybody who's not donated, this is aimed right at you. You know you're listening. We know you're listening. We've got all of your... We know your address. We know what you're watching on TV right now. I've taken over your webcam. <laughs> you masturbate. Just get on the website. Please just donate something to us. I mean, two of our mics broke in the last two weeks, and that was a bummer. Total bummer. So we appreciate the investment, and we will promise to be 
8% more excited <laughs> next week thanks, thanks for your time What I thought was a lot better is 99 Cents, which is the, our third album, which came out in 2016. You know, she has about four years between albums. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm guessing that's because she's so busy producing, writing, uh, and looking at the touring schedule she ends up on as well. She must get a lot of time to recover because that first year alone, she, her feet barely touched the ground. She talks about that. It was like a total whirlwind experience because she had her own tour in amongst all those support tours, including the USA one with Coldplay. 99 Cents starts really, really well. It's got uh, the first tune that's called Can't Get Enough of Myself. Which is just a really fucking catchy bit of music. It's really well written, dead upbeat, bouncy, great car music. Uh, the third track in it, Banshee, it's got this repeated come on come on motif that's really effective maybe a little bit grating but I think once you know the song it's actually very very endearing it's a really strong song her voice works really well on it it's bit more aggressive, bit more punky in that one. But there is, there, there are big chunks of hip-hop in the delivery during the verses especially. Uh, the sixth track in it is called Who Be Loving Me. Mm. Uh, I think I looked at the credits for this track. It says White Her, which is it's something called uh, McConnell Sharon, Dylan Mamid, Zach Rap Roven, and the, it was produced by Zed's Dead. Zed's Dead, baby. Zed's Dead. Uh, this song is fucking garbage. I mean, this song is so painfully bad that it drags the album down because you have to actually get up to skip past it because it's embarrassingly bad. So tell me, dear, what's it going the the male vocal on it it is horrendous like it's so so bad the lyrics are dreadful it's about this guy's got like girls in every city the girls be blowing me in every city it's just full of fucking tropes it tries to be like a little bit badass it's it's fucking murder like, and it, it it's such a shame mm-hmm. because it, the, the album starts so well 19 cents and it just ugh, and it, it kind of struggles to find its feet after that song again there's there is a, the seventh track in it funnily enough right after this one rendezvous girl is really really good Uh, it's kind of kind of pacey, synthy, sort of post-punk stuff. It's maybe like a bit like a kind of modern version of Blondie. Yeah, I enjoyed and that song a lot. It's a really good one as well. But the the album stutters 
badly at that sixth track and I, I think it, it never really, you know it's that thing where you trip and you try to stay on your feet and you just keep stumbling along till eventually you face plant so yeah that, that was disappointing the first half of that is definitely worth listening to uh, there are some really really good tracks uh, we put a playlist together just a short one of some of the, the standout songs from across the albums but I just don't think either of those albums capture <sighs> I mean there's loads of like obvious words like energy and naivety and things like that but just there's something really, really uh, spontaneous about that first record. And you can tell there's a lot of different ideas in it. There's a lot of different ideas in all of our records. But it feels more natural for all those different ideas to be there in that first album because you know that she's trying to find herself. Not that she's, you know, easily boxed in. But everything just feels a bit more comfortable in each other's company you don't get that jarring sort of whiplash effect of going from one track like a synth pop track to this weird aggressive sort of badass hip-hop to this like blondie thing you don't Mm -hmm. you don't get like ragdolled around the room uh, so to speak the the way you do in the later stuff even though this record feels a bit calculated it's still got the same kind of abandon that a lot of debut albums have the best debut albums have like that kind of recklessness you know by calculated I, it almost certainly is given her background but it also it doesn't feel like it's been done to death the way some of overcooked the way some of the stuff does in the, the later records like that track Keepers the first tune in this uh, L.E.S. Les Artistes it's a fucking excellent start this album yeah. um, somebody I think it was Rolling Stone compared it to a mashup of the strokes in the cars It's about hipsters in New York City. Why is it nobody ever thinks they're a hipster? Like, I mean, who are all these hipsters criti- criticizing hipsters? Is it another hipster thing? You gotta be really mad about it. Well, check us out, man. We're probably hipsters. Dave's definitely a hipster. Mark, you've got a beard, tattoos. Probably am, You've got yeah. a polo shirt with a collar buttoned yeah. up. Probably am a hipster too. Like trimmed glasses. I think that's probably four of the main ingredients. I'm, I think you're right. I'm almost certainly a hipster. I think... A main ingredient of being a hipster, though, is a lack of self-awareness. So I'm very self-aware of all the boxes that I tick in being a hipster, but I think that then gets me out from being a hipster because sometimes I just sign up to it. That Spoken sounds like, like a true hipster. I was going to say that sounds like the kind of thing a hipster <laughs> oh, would say. Oh, God, we've gone too meta here. Because I'm very <laughs> think, aware of how self-aware I am. I think hipsters are very self-aware. Not the kind that you see cycling down, on a, down the street on a penny farthing, though. They are not self-aware. That's the height of self-awareness. No, that's just the height of a bike. <laughs> a really <laughs> high bike. Oh, lol. Uh, I wish we had like a drum. Like, <laughs> I know, that's my second dad joke of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, this was actually, Liz Artiste was a, a Rolling Stones number two single of 2008. It has a really, really strokesy guitar intro. Mm-hmm. Really good subtle use of synth in that song and the chorus is excellent. Yeah, the vocal generally is really good in that song. Yeah, mm. it's one of our strongest strongest moments, full stop. Um, I've written here it's so New york I mean, it is, absolutely. It's yeah. about New York. It sounds like the strokes. I mean, it, it, it just totally is. The second track, You'll Find A Way, uh, is really a much more post-punk tune.
guy with that stroke guitar. Is it? Yeah, it is. I and there's also this weird thing in the chorus where the the drum beat totally changes mm-hmm. and it changes the dynamic of the song quite a bit. It's just got like it has got more of a punky vibe to it. Um, I actually think that the, especially the first Santa Gold album it does show her kind of punk heritage quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's why I said it felt indie. I don't know. It felt like there was a band influenced approach to a few of these tracks. I think on that track you can see her sort of ska influence and mm-hmm. her punk influence. Well, and, I mean, the, the shove it which comes next is a big reggae influence. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like obviously, you know, all the way from Two Tone through Bad Brains and all these different mm-hmm. bands that were somehow uh, involved in, in incorporating elements of that. It's, it's a really good distillation in, yeah. a, in a modern way. Clearly, it's a heritage thing as well. She's done a record recently that's very dancehall inspired, but she she makes it sound quite effortless. She yeah. balances the reggae thing with a post-punk thing. It doesn't sound gratuitous. It doesn't sound jarring. It's got little hip, flurries of hip-hop in it that, that kind of contemporise it. And it's got, lo- I mean, I hate using this word, but it does have loads of attitude in that song. It's delivered with, a, I always say confidence, but a, somewhere between confidence and aggression that, that really suits... The, the track itself yeah I mean those two tracks together uh, work very well work very well as a pairing but also both songs gave me a really heavy Clash vibe as well like our vocals quite Joe yeah, Strummery yeah. in the second track Shove It has got the same kind of vibe as um, Guns of Brixton on London Calling with the, you know the reggae bass and all that and it's also both song both songs are super catchy which the Clash were yeah I mean I believe she was and, quite a big fan mm. as well Spank Rocks in this and Shove It as well I think his vocals really cool on that Towards the end. Uh, the fourth track, Say Aha, you mentioned it earlier on. I feel Say Aha has a really, a, a real no doubt feel. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really mm-hmm. good song, man. It, it really is. It's one that is been in a few adverts yeah mm-hmm. that's what Mark was saying yeah he feels it's kind of been a little mm-hmm. bit tainted by that I, I don't get it as much with this one but I do uh, yeah you can hear it a bit a lot of brass in this song which is pretty yeah. good I, I thought it was a really good pr- production touch it, it kind of broadens the palette of the album overall in a, in a really nice way it's energetic it's a really direction just a really well written bit of music I can see why it got synced as well the fifth track creator it's, it's kind of really playful vocal intro Yeah, it is annoying, but it really reminds me of somebody, and I can't put my bloody finger on it. And it's, oh. I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean maybe it reminds me of this song, in that I've had that gap. But it, there is something about there's, it that's really bloody. Yeah. Somebody, I'm sure that has that. Well, there's been synced a lot of this song as well. So I mean, it's possible that you've heard it before. You heard it, like Dave said. I, no, honestly, I, I, I'm that that weird broken effect on the vocal. I just can't remember who it is. There's like an inventive kind of harder use of modulated synth in this. It's a little bit more serious 
the way it's incorporated, mm-hmm. less less whimsical. I, I feel like this track actually has a lot of hints of Achilles, like milkshake, that kind it's of got a huge beat, man. It's fucking yeah, huge banging beat. I think beat. that's yeah. kind of what she's had in mind in terms of where she wants this this track to, to land. Also, I think there's an element of that kind of hollaback girl, Gwen Stefani. Yeah, it's got rap. It's got really good rapping on it as well. Yeah, when she, when she brings that out, that often can be the strongest part of her game. I think, and when she brings, she doesn't do it very often on this record, at least anyway. But when she does bring out like a properly good flow, she's clearly very adept at it. Yeah. Tell Uh, the sixth track, My Superman. I was trying to think of a way to encapsulate this, and the only thing I, that really kept coming back to me was it's like a non white version of Depeche Mode. <laughs> it's slower, it's groovier, it's got a bit more soul, but it's still got that it's quite got a proper 80s, like post punk feel, like yeah. almost like Susan the Banshee, I think. Yeah, and she again in interviews, she's spoken about how, how into uh, Susan the Banshees and, and the, the 80s generally. She really wanted to incorporate a lot of those tones into stuff without it sounding like retro music. And it doesn't sound at all like retro music. It doesn't sound like something that's brazenly, you know, it's not synthwave. It's not trying to sound like an 80s band, but mm-hmm. it does successfully, in my opinion, at least take ideas from that and, and yeah, contemporize yeah, them. It does. Use that again. Um, the seventh track, Lights Out, I think is a really strong one. It's a bit more Pixies in this Definitely one. Definitely Pixies. Yeah, I've she's been album, compared yeah. to Kim Deal quite a lot. Uh, and some of the kind of playfulness of things as well. Yeah, again, lots of post-punk stuff. It's kind of fun, this one. It's well-paced, really singable chorus and a really good kind of change of direction in the vocals. I've written on this, which I think definitely applies to a lot of the record and definitely the last song as well. It's just, it doesn't, it's kind of new wavy, but it doesn't really feel obviously full 80s, like trying to ape that 80s sound. Yeah, again, she's, mm-hmm. she's wanting to use those elements, but she's avoided that thing of just sounding like a throwback band. She, mm-hmm. she, you know, and I think... I'll, I think it's clever production. Uh, I think the album production is sparkles. It, it's brought to life... Yeah. Through, you know, I think it's instrumentation sh- and none of it is cliched really and none of it is of an age in particular. I think she chooses her instruments and, and her, her synth sounds very carefully. I think the thing is like we're talking about a, a woman who's 42 now mm-hmm. and there just is a level of maturity and this is her first album. She's 32 when it comes out so I mean generally yeah. just life experience too. D- and and she's musical experience. She's been in there writing with people. She's been in the industry doing A&R for people. She'll know what does and doesn't work. She'll have seen stuff that probably she was like, God, that could have been so much better if they'd just done this or this. And I think you can kind of see the lessons that she's picked up over the, the years on behalf of other people 
being uh, put to work for her. And there's just some really good mature production, like Dave's saying. Like it's, it, it does really sparkle, but there's clever decisions that avoid it falling into traps. Mm. Things like sounding too lifted or, or, or too retro, too contrived. One thing I think about, I've been thinking about this a lot since I heard it, man, and it makes me think about Avla Tigra, but mostly I, I think that this is what the Tuneyards record should sound like. Yeah, I think it should is, sound like. I this. think this is what Tuneyards thinks a record sounds mm. like, and I like the Tuneyards record, yeah. but I think she thinks it sounds like this. Mm. And this is what somebody who's actually black does when they do what Tuneyards <laughs> do. You know what I mean? Uh, the eighth track, Starstruck, uh, is a bit more produced. It's a bit darker, quite synth heavy. It definitely feels like a grime song, man. I think. Okay. Do you not think they've it's yeah. got a bit of a grime feel? Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a sort of London influence to this. Mm. Uh, there's that much deeper, heavier, more brooding bass in this one as well that does sort of set it aside. I mean, it's coming after that one that's got the nice rolling kind of Pixies like played bass. Mm-hmm. The bass on this sounds very clubby, very uh, electronic, sequenced almost. Yeah, you can definitely hear that that's probably Diplo, Diplo's influence who is mm-hmm. involved in the sort of dubstep world, yeah, etc. He- this song and Unstoppable as well like he's on both of those tracks and that's when he comes in I think like hard on, yeah. on, on himself I guess hard <laughs> <laughs> on yourself um, well funnily enough like, Unstoppable which is the next next track has an awesome bit crushed bass line So the bass line has been a bit too clean and been like, what the fuck can we do with this? There's a great use of a bit crusher in it that just, it's such a distinct tone, but and it, it can override a lot of things mm-hmm. in, other, in, in other circumstances, but it fits really well in this song. Uh, I love that bass tone and it's a really clever use of it. It's an effect that a lot of people shy away from, but this kind of demonstrates that used well. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt the vocals again were touching on the MIA area for that one. It was a lot snappier. Track 10, I'm a Lady, I think it's a, a really, really good song. Yeah. Uh, so late in the album, I thought it was going to get into darker territory, maybe get a wee bit like somebody's first album, they have a few great tunes earlier on and you don't think they've, they've maybe front-loaded it too much, but I think this is a really key track for balancing it. Lights out in this bring a, a levity to the to the second half, a tunefulness and an upbeatness. With Starstruck and Unstoppable, you've got the production chops on show, but you can't just stack a bunch of production at the end of your album. You need to have something for people to enjoy. And I think Lights Out and Emily Day really help balance that. More nods to the Pixies and Kim Dale, I guess. Super catchy chorus mm. in Emily Day. Uh, and I think it's almost could quite easily slip into a kind of 90s compilation of like indie rock. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the last track proper, if you will, is a track called Anne, which is kind of the gothiest, the darkest. Oh, 
heavy use of reverb. Electro pop from the 80s, total vibe. Yeah, that definitely feels much more brazenly 80s as a closing track. But I think the closing track on an album is where you get to indulge yourself a wee mm-hmm. bit. You know, so many bands go out with something that's quite idiosyncratic and striking because, you know, it is that moment where you're like, oh, I get to be me. This is this is it. I can do my little flurry. I can do my like my backflip and bow. Uh, the vocal howls and that I think are, are really good uh, and kind of they utilise the size of the reverb really well. And it's just a bit racier. It's got that kind of minor key thing happening and it's a good moody, sort of slightly sexier ending coming on the back of something so upbeat. I, I think like at 11 tracks, it's the perfect length. It's really, really nicely balanced, especially for a first album. It's by no means perfect. Don't get me no. wrong. There are a few tracks on it that are definite album tracks. Absolutely. But, but yeah. as I say, the more I've listened to it, my, my, my initial recollections of this album was that there was about four or five really outstanding tunes. But the more I've been forced to work at it in the last like couple of weeks, more I've been like, shit, the album tracks are actually really pretty good as well. They're not, they don't lend themselves quite as well to sticking on in a motor or sticking on in a club. But as pieces of music, they're, they're, they're very well written. The album tracks on the following two albums, I don't think I could necessarily say that of, albeit those two albums still have some outstanding individual tunes on them. Uh, but I definitely think this is the best thing she's done so far. And I don't, I don't get the feeling it's going to be the last thing she does by herself either, albeit she's extremely busy. I think uh, for me, Starstruck, and I thought both can be taken off the records. Um, but then it would be a, wouldn't be much of an album if you took those out. Um, those are the only two songs that really kind of dragged it down for me. Uh, but everything else is so good on it, like production-wise, musically. Um, I, the idea she's got, everything on it is just so good. And it feels so fresh. It still feels fresh 10 years later it as does. well. It, does, it, does, it still feels remarkably fresh and I would definitely um, listen. I'm going to listen to it more. I've been thinking about it a lot and I keep hearing bits of it in my head, which is usually a good sign. Yeah. Three albums into her career, she's got a very fucking good greatest hits mm-hmm. uh, already, which is, yeah, no small feat. Yeah. David? Uh, I mean, I've just not taken it, taken by it as much as you two are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can definitely appreciate it. Uh, I can definitely appreciate the influences on it and also the influence that it had because I think it was like quite an interesting time in pop and sort of mainstream indie music sort of taking a big mash of influences and creating this and you know there's a few acts doing that I I think she was very zeitgeisty particularly among the sort of pitchforky folk Um, I just I I don't know I just struggled to get on board with it I I don't know maybe my main issue with it is that I don't see how it's unsung (laughs) (laughs) in any way to be fair that's probably the, the most contentious part of it um, is the fact that it is it was critically acclaimed it was critically acclaimed although it didn't sell massively it, 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 it didn't sell got, massively it got to number 76 which yeah, is by no means it didn't do know. a lot compared to mainstream pop artists yeah. it did alright compared to you know stuff like I don't know My M83 band. and <laughs> TV on the radio and stuff like that yeah. um, your high school uh, band outsold yeah, that I mean it definitely sold oh, outsold Dimmer <laughs> And I think it's very fine at what it is. Um, I think it's influential. It's a black woman doing cool indie stuff with her own voice. But I think going back to it, for me, 11 years you know, after it came out, it just doesn't particularly excite me. There's like something about the balance where it's not like deep indie music that will maybe have a lasting effect for years, but it's not glimmering pop that will then, you know, you know, like timeless pop, like Madonna or whatever. And it falls slightly in that hole that 
I can never quite get on board with. There's just a whole genre of music that I'm maybe it's not pop enough for me or it's not weird enough for me. I can, I can kind of understand that. I think what I like about it is that it's not so saccharine in terms of pop music that I'd get bored of it. And I think that it is just for me, it's that like the Goldilocks zone mm-hmm. of pop that is just a, like a little bit odd enough, a bit like Pixies, for example, a, a, a pop act that are just on the periphery enough yeah. that I think they retain for me, a bit of longevity via that. And that's maybe just a difference in taste at that stage. I would say though, one of the things that, albeit it, it did get acknowledged critically and it certainly benefited from big tours, big association and a lot of assistance I from the label and stuff. I think maybe a lot of people, a lot of acts and labels uh, going, hey, we've got this really cool black woman uh, who could come on tour with us. She's going to play music that isn't going to offend people before the Coldplay concert, but is cool enough to tick some boxes. Absolutely, man. I mean, you can completely imagine the the, the boardroom meetings, of course, the 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 A and R marketing meetings, mm. no no doubt. Um, but I do think a bit like Larue, I want to give it props for being such an accomplished, such an accomplished work within. Uh, I mean, it's it's like in a city of skyscrapers. Mm-hmm she's built a corner shop and the corner shop is, is doing well and staying open. And yeah. it, it's, you know, it's surrounded by these giant companies that are towering budgets I, are dwarfing it. And it's, it's still really, really well done. I just think she often got compared to MIA at the beginning because they sort of came out at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. She acknowledged uh, that as well. She, she acknowledged that. that. Yeah. And then there were like people would come out and say, oh, she's nothing like MIA, blah, blah, blah. Oh, she's very flattered. That the yeah, comparison. and she's flattered by yeah. it. I, and for me, she lacks that visceral edge that MIA had. Uh, I think they both did really interesting things. And to me, MIA just maybe had some better songs. And I think has some more challenging ideas over her career. Um, See, MIA uh, never really aired on the, 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 the Pixies indie punk side of it though, did she? Uh, not necessarily, but I mean, she's got some heavy weird tracks you know, musically I think they're quite different but I mean as in terms of their cultural place I think they're seem, seen as very similar uh, and it's, I, it's really really hard to write genuine indie music that you can play in a club and so many bands are mm, trying and yeah. failing at that and some do it once and then can never you know rebottle the lightning but she, she's at least semi-consistently over three albums made at least a few singles per album that translate well in clubs despite being ostensibly indie music. And I think that's... that's and I also, I also cool. appreciate her influence on indie, on uh, hip-hop, on just female musical artists, uh, on black musical artists uh, that have taken what they want from her sort of merge of of, uh, of influences. And I think, you know, there's like people have taken the slightly twee side and come up with cool stuff like, I don't know, Lucky Lee, hip hop, look at people like Azealia Banks and Princess Nokia now probably owe a bit of a debt to Santa Gold and then even the sort of electronica and dark stuff like Grimes and FK Twigs owe stuff to Santa Gold. But for me, I get a lot more out of the stuff that has come out of it than from this record. But... I understand it. Fair play. Just probably won't listen to it. Okay. Well, obviously I'm putting it forward. As have I. Cool. Two to one. Great. Uh, cool. But it's not down to us, it's down to you, the listeners. It is, yes. So go and listen and vote. Uh, it's on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It's on our Facebook pages where you can vote. 
Great. Please. Who's up next week? Uh, me, right? It is. What are you putting forward? Uh, it's me, right? Um, I'm doing. I'm going to put forward. Sorry, I'm going to put forward uh, "Simple Math" by Manchester Orchestra. Oh God! Simple Math by Manchester Orchestra. Manchester Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Wow. Have you not heard of them? Not really. You're going to love yeah, them. Interesting. One of these bands that people fucking love, and then other people. Who are they? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, kind of emo. I say like emo, but probably more indie, to be honest. Yeah. So All right. Be interesting. Okay. Well, I am. Um, They're like I'm, a more earnest Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. Interesting. Like it's like that a is, shit, from right? the name, that is not what I expected. I think I expected something like between British Seeper and Elbow. Uh, <laughs> no. It, well, no. Nah. No. It's not, not really like that. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Well, let's see. What interesting happens. one. Yeah. Whoa. Cool. Well, go vote, as Dave says. And thanks for listening, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye.